what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. With me is Chris Fry. We are the uh, co-producers and founders, directors, I don't know, whatever titles we want to throw in there. <laughs> I, I just spout them all off at one time, but of the Foot Candle Film Society and the Foot Candle Film Festival that goes on here in beautiful Western North Carolina every year. But we're here today to talk new films and upcoming films on this podcast. But Chris, how are you doing? I am doing fine. I had a good holiday. We went on my first ever cruise yeah. uh, to the Caribbean, so that was fun. Um, it was a little scary because, you know, everybody had to be masked and everything. But I survived. It was fun. Yeah. Um, and I'm uh, glad to be back talking movies. No uh, no movie watching on the cruise, I take it? Or? So the whole thing about Wi-Fi and uh, being on a boat doesn't really go together. Yeah. It's so, kind of so one of those no. times you just kind of have to check out for a week <laughs> right. and be like, you know what? Um, so. But I know you. I know you caught up on a lot of these big releases before you left. So I, tr- I tried. You're in a good state. And then it was the frantic. Once I got back, uh, also kind of catching up with a lot because we have to do nominations for end of the year type awards. So, right, 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 so right. That. Yes, so. I think we have a couple more, another day or two on that for nominations, and then we'll be doing kind of our ballot. Right, and so the actual ballot. Yeah, that will be fun, exciting. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to. It. I've got a lot more to catch up on in the next week or two. Unfortunately, though, too. So. All right, well, let's go ahead and talk about a couple of those films that we felt like we had to catch up on and see earlier on, and luckily we did get a chance to see both of these films. We're going to be discussing the latest from writer-director Paul Thomas Anderson, Licorice Pizza. Then we'll be discussing the latest from Guillermo del Toro, which is Nightmare Alley. Nightmare Alley, I think, is in a wider release right now than Licorice Pizza at the time of recording. Hopefully, Licorice Pizza is getting out to some more theaters. But both of them are currently playing in theaters in some capacity right now. So we're going to be discussing and reviewing both of those two films. After we're done with those two reviews, we'll be moving on to some news. I've got a little news about a certain wall crawler that is setting some box office records. And Chris and I may have to share some thoughts on the latest Spider-Man movie in that segment. And then we're going to be talking about a the trailer release for a new film that uh, I'm excited to show, Chris. I don't think you've seen it yet, so I we're going to not. discuss the latest uh, from, uh, called The Northman. It's going to be interesting, so we'll talk about that a little bit later. Then we'll close out the show with both Chris and I giving a recommendation of a film we think is worth checking out, something you can watch online that we want to uh, encourage you to, to take some time to do if, you ha- if you're so inclined. All right, Chris, let's go ahead and start up with our two reviews. Uh, let's start with our first one, which is Paul Thomas Anderson's, I think it's his eighth movie, hmm. eighth or ninth. Okay. Um, ninth movie. I'm clarifying nice. on that. Ninth movie. It is Licorice Pizza. It's a god awful small affair. To the girl with the mousy hair. I met the girl on one day. But her mommy is yelling no. Daddy has told her to go. Listen, young lady. 
But her friend is nowhere to be seen So how'd you become such a hotshot actor? I'm a showman. That's what I'm meant to do. To the seats with the clearest view Chris, with Licorice Pizza, we had the story of Alana Kane and Gary Valentine, played by, respectively, Alana Haim, who is uh, best known for being a member of the band Haim, uh, singer, songwriter, performer, and I think this is her first real acting work. And then the other, Gary Valentine, played by Cooper Hoffman, also uh, not, I think this is his first real acting project, at least as that we're all aware of. Uh, and his background, interestingly enough, he is the son of Philip Seymour Hoffman, the unfortunately uh, recently, well, not recently, but a few years ago, departed um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. So we had the story of Alana and Gary as they're growing up, running around and going through the treacherous navigation of first love in the San Fernando Valley back in 1973. Chris, Paul Thomas Anderson's last film was uh, Phantom Thread. Yes. I... I don't know if it's his favorite of yours, but I know it's in the, at least the top one, two, or three. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's up there. It's probably a wrestling match between that and Magnolia. Okay, for me. so it's in it's in the top tier. Yeah. Like I know it was a you're a big fan of that film. I think it was one of your favorites from the year it came it out was. a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, same here. It's also one of my is my number two favorite Paul Thomas Anderson film as well. Um, and this is this you know, follow-up to that, I guess you could say, as far as you know, coming off that. That film did receive some Academy Award recognition. Didn't win anything, if I remember correctly, but at least had some nominations flooding around there. But we have a, a very different type of movie here. So uh, one that doesn't tend to focus as much on plot. Granted, not to say Phantom Thread was all about plot either, but at least it did have, did have a through line of a story. This one seems to be a little more focused on mood and tone and you know characters and i just want to ask you how did that work for you being such a big fan of phantom thread this being a different type of film in the way we described it here with some fairly unknown actors playing key roles how'd the whole thing work for you well so what was surprising to me is i don't think of paul thomas anderson as being a a filmmaker that is a slow paced filmmaker, even though, I mean, he did do things like there will be blood, which that movie is long and has some language takes, but there's a definite story arc there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like with all of his films for me, there's always been that. So this came across as a more meandering film. And I was, I was kind of surprised by that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it didn't really have a strong story arc. And so therefore I kind of just, kind of got lost sometimes and not and not in a good way because Mm -hmm. I kind of I would my interest would wane Mm -hmm. and I would have thought that was never possible in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie because usually every single performance is really strong there's a lot going on even with music cues and just I was surprised not to say I hated the film but I was surprised that uh, I didn't engage with it as much as I thought possible Hmm. Um, what was your initial take on it um Probably a little little better than yours. I mean, granted, I, I I don't. This film didn't hit all cylinders I was hoping for it to hit, but I did enjoy it. I think it is a. I think once I got past the idea of realizing that we're not needing to follow a plot here, mm-hmm. there's not going to be any kind of real character arc that we're following as much necessarily. It's truly more vignettes of the stories of of, of two young people at this particular time in their life. Um, 
Yeah, figuring out what they're doing, who they are, what their relationship could be or not be. And I think once you realize that that's what you're, that's what you're getting. I mean, honestly, there, I think if you really boil this film down to try to get very scientific about it, there's probably eight or nine vignettes, you know, each one, 10, 15 minutes, maybe in length or varying length. It's still the same two main characters, but sure. it's just at different phases, different projects they're working on, different roles they're taking, different stages of relationship, all that. And I think once you realize that that's the format of the film and you can kind of let go of any preconceived notions of there being some sort of story or plot you're trying to follow, then it's a lot more enjoyable. Some elements of it worked a lot better than others. I think part of it, when you do boil it down to these vignettes, yes, some of the vignettes, some of the segments I hate even using that word for a film like this, but some of these segments work a lot better than others. There are some that, yes, I feel like I don't really understand the point. (laughs) It did seem a little meandering. It wasn't terribly interesting, but I knew that, okay, here in a little bit, we're going to shift and go into something a little more interesting. And we do. And I will say, I think the two leads do a really great job. I don't know if the two of them were enough to carry this entire film, which mm-hmm. is why I think you have some smaller bit players come in some and cameos. really, yeah. really play this thing up. You have Sean Penn comes in and plays a role for one of the scene, one of the segments. You've got um, um, Bradley Cooper playing a a role that uh, I think there's already some rumblings that even for a seven or eight minutes on film that he has he may be getting some award recognition for it because it is a pretty good performance. But again, these characters are brought in to kind of, I almost feel like they, they have to amp up the story and really make it interesting. Right. And not to say that watching Alana and Gary just by themselves is not interesting, but it, I don't feel like they're quite able to really carry us through this film and really get us engaged to that level that I think you're, you were missing on this. Yeah, I, I think, and I, you seem to be a little bit more forgiving of the fact of the, that the film was just kind of a loose putting together of a bunch of segments or vignettes. And I think I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that. And so then it it helped, it made me disengage, but I will say there, yes, some were better than others. Mm -hmm. And I guess maybe if in the framework, if he would have spoon fed me a little bit more and there would have been like title and then like vignette. Okay, great. (laughs) And then title of it ended up being like, okay, so now I know like, okay, just give it a break. Kind of like French dispatch. Yeah. You were set up with vignettes and you, and you knew, I knew going in that it was going to be vignettes. So if you get a little antsy, you're like, well, just calm down. You didn't really mm-hmm. respond to this one. But whereas if you're thinking it's a, a piece, it's one whole piece, then when you get antsy, you're like, okay, this is just dragging for me and I just mm-hmm. don't see an end to it. So that that uh, that hurt. I think we, we need to address the biggest debate with this film, um, and it is – the name Soggy Bottom versus Licorice Pizza. Alan, where do you where do you stand? Do you well, think Soggy Bottom, the original working Soggy title Bottom for was the, the film. original working title for the film. There is a mention of Soggy Bottom in the film, as yeah. far as where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Licorice Pizza um, apparently was the name of a record store that was in California during this time period, but there is no mention of yeah, it in the film. So, say, Alan, let's address the big debate: Should they have kept Soggy Bottom, or was it okay to go? Licorice well, only Pizza? because I'm somebody that maybe I'm I'm I'm, I'm a little strict on this, but. I don't like titles that have absolutely nothing to do with the content of the film. Oh, so even though Saki bottom is not the title of the film, I would have liked to have gone around talking about when, when seeing this film, <laughs> at least it did have a connection to yes. the film. So I guess I'm more on the soggy bottom side. Okay. Although I kind of would like something altogether different, but I, <laughs> you know, PT Anderson, just, you know, feel free to call me. We can talk about right. title ideas for your next film, but um, I guess I'm a little more leaning soggy bottom. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think soggy mm-hmm. bottom, um, soggy bottom's more fun to say, it I is. think. But, um, okay. Yeah, can I tell you something kind of interesting about this film? That, you Absolutely. Know, just, I think a couple, couple pieces. One, do you know who played the uh, waterbed salesman? The one who sells uh, or gets Gary involved in the water waterbed game. He's an older gentleman, long hair, uh, a little bit of a hippie guy in the movie. Right. Off the top of my head, no. I remember the character, but I can't. Yeah. No. Well, you wouldn't know him per se, oh, okay. but it is Leonardo DiCaprio's father. Oh, wow. Yeah. So cool. supposedly Leonardo DiCaprio was in contention or planning to play the uh, Bradley Cooper role in this film, huh. but then had to pass because he was also going to be doing uh, the film that we're going to be talking about next, which is Nightmare Alley. But Bradley Cooper ended up getting both roles instead. And <laughs> DiCaprio moved on to other things that, that may come up later in the show. Okay. So um, anyway, I just thought that was interesting with that. No, okay. Wow. So I wasn't supposed to know who that no, was. Okay. No, okay. It was something I read afterwards and was kind of surprised by. But, huh, interesting. Um, your thoughts on, on Cooper Hoffman uh, and Alana Haim as the two actors. I mean, I mentioned how, I don't feel like they were strong enough to carry the entire film by themselves, but just in general for, for their performances, how did you feel? I thought they, I thought they were great. And, um, granted this is the type of thing where off the bat, you're like, okay, they were good. And I I think they were good. Now, could they move beyond that in another film or were they just like, you know, in Mm -hmm. a sense, I don't know. I know of the band Hame, but I don't know a lot about them. So is she just in a sense playing herself? Yeah. Is Cooper Hoffman in a sense, just playing himself. Yep. I don't know, but I know yeah. they were charismatic enough. I think the chemistry and kind of the dialogue between them was, you know, good enough to keep me engaged. It's just what they were given to do sometimes made me a little bored. Yeah. And I will say what didn't, I was kind of kidding with the biggest debate and the controversy on this yeah, film sure. being the, um, the titling of the film. People have knocked this film mm-hmm. for the age disparity between mm-hmm. the two because he's supposed to be a high school kid and she's supposed to be out maybe six, seven years older. I'm not sure if they have. And mm-hmm. he kind of, you know, asked her about that at some points, kind of like, you know, trying to get her to say how exactly how old she was, you know, as a father and, you know, of, of a young daughter. Um, it actually didn't bother me. And mm-hmm. I feel like the reason is because they were aware of it in the film. They talk about it. And she kind of keeps telling him, Oh, you're just an idiot kid. You're just, but I never felt it was more like an infatuation and a crush, Mm -hmm. but it was not, I never felt creeped out by it. No, no, I I I never even gave it a second thought. And I can understand people's concern on this matter, but it just never really, it it, it, it didn't hit me that way. No, I I think, I, I don't think it's anything of any concern. I mean, and again, I think the fact when you start to realize that in, 10, 15, 20 years, that age gap does not, would not matter. So it's right. like, it is a whole idea of like, I think even Paul Temple's Anderson saying, it's kind of like the idea of when you have a crush on a babysitter as a young child, you know, it's like, yeah. Okay. Are you ever really going to be in a relationship with your babysitter? Probably, Probably not, not ever happening, <laughs> right. but there is that kind of connection at least to some degree. And, you know, there's some, there's some pining, there's some, there's some uh, desire there, but the film, I think, handles it very tasteful. I, I, I didn't see I any issue. So. And also, I think they left ages a little... I mean, Gary is a much older than his age character. Right. And I think Alana is somewhat of a younger... I mean, that's part of the idea of the movie, is that the reason they are together and, and kind of can work together and enjoy each other's company, 
So Gary is a lot wiser and older for his age than his age gives off. And she is still struggling to figure out how to get to that next level of, of adulthood. So right. they're both in a very similar spot right. uh, mentally, you know, yes. which I think makes a, good, a big difference there. I will say, Alana Haim, I think she was good here. I Like you, I'm just kind of curious. The, the role didn't seem like too much of a stretch. So the jury's still out as to whether she could really play a, a different role or not. I don't know, but she was really good for this role. I thought so. Cooper Hoffman, I thought was really good. The thing about him I thought was interesting is and people are drawing a lot of comparisons to his father, which I mean, how, understandably, how can you not? Yeah. but I, Cooper Hoffman seems to be, I could see him doing a lot more leading man material than even his father did. His father was really good with, very specific characters and very, you know, kind of, he was never a leading man type of role. That was not his thing. Cooper Hoffman, I think has got the chops where he could be a leading man. He played, he has a lot of charisma in this film and I could see him playing a more leading role uh, in, in films more than even his father did. I wonder if it's, and I, I think he definitely, I've, and there again, you can't help knowing that he was his son. I couldn't help. I felt like I saw mannerisms that were yeah. similar, but not in just like he was, but it's just like, and yeah. kind of looks and kind it of, was enough. Have. but I agree. I wonder if the reason for that being is his first film has been a lighter film. Yeah. And so therefore, true. you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman, he often did some, some heavy stuff oh, yeah. and he was really good. But I wonder if, because his, for this, if Cooper Hoffman's first film was a lighter film, that will help set him up to be more broader appeal. Could be. I don't know. But yeah. Well, just trying to think about this. Could a younger Philip Seymour Hoffman had played this role? And I don't, I don't see it. I don't. Yeah. Think that's so. what I'm saying. I think yeah. it's a just, I can see uh, he, I, again, I'm, I, I think it's great when, uh, you know, sundered daughters of, of famous actors kind of continuing the craft and sure. anxious to see, but I like to see them kind of, also chart their own path and have their own style. Yeah, that's think, good. You know, he's not just like he's following his dad yeah. going to do exactly what the role is. Well, take, for example, The Many Saints of Newark, where we saw you know, Gandolfini's son play him. I mean, he was meant to play spot on. I'm right. playing the same character with the same mannerisms. Right. This, I like the fact that they didn't try to put him in a Philip Seymour Hoffman role. Is He truly gets to be the leading man in this film. And again, he's got the charisma and chops to do it. So. I'm anxious to see what both of these are going to characters are going to, or actors are going to do going forward. I will call out and say this, like I mentioned earlier, the the moments or shorter scenes where we have Bradley Cooper or we have Sean Penn playing playing. Um, well, Sean Penn is playing a version of a real person, right? Uh, different name, but more or less based on a on a on a real actor. Um, and then we've got Bradley Cooper, who is. Very, very clearly playing John Peter. I mean, he even says that's who he's playing. <laughs> right. Uh, at that time, boyfriend of Barbara Streisand, uh, movie producer. Um, anyway, that's him playing him. And he's, I thought both of them were really fun. I thought the yeah. film kind of kicked up a notch and got really interesting when both of them were on the screen. So I had a good time with both of those roles. Um, I'll, I'll throw out as well. I, I agree with that. And can you, He's on screen the same time that Sean Penn is on screen, screen but Tom Waits acting as yes. kind of a oh, yeah. crazy director. Um, that was one of the things that during the trailer for this movie, which we saw several times, you know, before we actually saw it in the theater. But my wife, she know knowing nothing about really about the film or anything, she would always laugh how the trailer cut Tom Waits in there mm-hmm. saying at, and he's just you can tell he's just this kind of out there director and the things that are around that. She always laughed at that, yeah, and she laughed again funny. at it in the film. So. Mm-hmm. That was that was a, a fun moment. I'll also call out another actor who 
he's a young, younger actor. And I feel like I've seen him, but I don't really know like him. He's kind of like, you see his face and you're like, Oh yeah, it's that dude. Um, but Will Angarola and he played a kind of boyfriend at one point to Alana's character. He played Kirk Mm -hmm. and he has this scene where, and you know, of course Gary is jealous of Kirk, but Kirk comes over for a meal with Alana and her family mm-hmm. <laughs> and some dialogue that goes on on the tape at the t- dinner table, no, no, it's I thought was really amazing. And it was yeah. one of my favorite scenes and come to find out after the film, apparently that's Alana Haim's family sitting around the table, like her real life mom and dad, her sisters that are also in the band that you mentioned. So that's just a little fun insider <laughs> stuff that made that scene that much better once I yeah. learned about it. So. No, that was a really good scene. I do like that one as well. Overall, I, I do like licorice pizza. I mean, I try to think about it. I mean, I, you know, as much as I maybe regret sometimes trying to rank uh, mm. director's films and trying to think where this falls. This is kind of a mid-range uh, Paul Thomas Anderson for me. I do have it above uh, Inherent Vice, which is probably, unfortunately, my least favorite of his. I, I, yeah, I think yeah, Inherent Vice yeah, is at the bottom. I've for got me. it. Also, Heart Eight. Good film, but you know, it's just not. I don't think PT Anderson had really gotten into his style yet at that time, okay? So it's also down there. My thing is, There Will Be Blood is the one that is my I still consider it a blind spot, even though I have seen it. I haven't seen it, I don't think, in a really good um, frame of mind. So I will be watching <laughs> that again at some point. So okay. that one's still jury's still out. Okay, this is in that punch drunk love kind of category for me, where it's like. I like it. I really do. There's a lot of moments I like. Does the film as a whole work for me? Not as much, but there are enough moments where I can say there's there's some good stuff here. Uh, But it does not touch for me Boogie Nights, Phantom Thread, The Master, and Magnolia. Those are kind of the the holy grail, the top four for me of of Anderson's work. Well, I think for me, it falls right above Inherent Vice. Um, So it is like close to the bottom. Not say it's terrible. I don't. But just in uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's filmography, it comes across as being kind of slight. Whereas Inherent Vice just, just didn't work on yeah, so many different levels. Yeah, it just didn't work for me either. Um, I will say I wonder if part of Licorice Pizza's, you know, I mentioned some of the things that were kind of like hangouts for me on the film. You know, it was also it was very light. Mm-hmm. And Paul Thomas Anderson, I don't think of as making a very light light films, you mm-hmm. know, which is kind of good for him to kind of change it up and do kind sure. of a more lighthearted um, film. Um, but something about it, maybe like maybe humor isn't his strong suit. Mm. (laughs) Um, or just, you know, not when you're centering kind of the film on heartwarming, humorous things, maybe, maybe that's not a strong suit. Um, something like punch drunk love where there was some humor in that, but there was also this tension with Adam Sandler's character. I think that's why that film worked. There was no tension in this movie whatsoever. I mean, that's, that's in for better, for worse. I mean, it just, there was none of that impending, kind of tension building drama building in the film that you tend to get with a lot of his, his, his and films. I, and I think if I had never seen a slice of life during the 1970s, maybe I would find it more interesting, but mm-hmm. it just seemed to be a lot more average than what mm-hmm. I expect from Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay. Um, and I'll cite something that I thought was really odd. Um, and we've mentioned the whole age disparity thing. So you know, of course the Twitterverse calls out things that are weird about movies and they rant and rave about them. This struck me as weird, um, and I wonder what your reaction to, mm-hmm. to it was. And they went back to this character twice. Oh, I know where you're going. And yeah. uh, Cooper, yeah, Cooper Hoffman's, or Gary's mom, also helps him with like a talent agency or a marketing yeah. agency. And they have this restaurant that's an Asian-themed restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I cannot remember the actor's name, but he's been in a lot of um, 
mockumentaries, yeah. um, like uh, Best in Show and things mm-hmm. like that. I can't remember the actor's name, but you'd know him if you right. saw him. Um, Alan can frantically look up his I name. I will look it up, yeah. <laughs> but um, the scene revolves around um, a man and his, I believe it is his wife. John Michael Higgins. John Michael Higgins, yeah. Yep. So he's playing, and he is playing this insensitive kind of idiot husband who's trying to get marketing help for his, you know, Chinese, I think it's a Chinese restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he has a, his wife is Chinese. Yeah. Um, and he is very insulting to her and like talks down to her and then like talks to her in like a offensive Asian accent, but yeah. is speaking American is not yeah. trying to like do language. And it was so weird. Mm. Like at first, like you're just like, wait, what, what is he doing? Mm. Like, you know, and you're like, I don't, I don't get it. And then in a different scene, he comes back and I guess he's getting help again and he has a different wife. Yeah. Right. And he does the same thing though. And he does the same thing talking down to her. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I didn't really like it threw me so off. I was like, what is, what is happening? Well, it's, it's one of those moments where I want to believe that it's, you know, the scene that moments in there to show him being, to show that character as being a very, um, superficial, very yeah. insensitive, very uh, bigoted person. Right. And I think it, and I think it does, it but, does, but the film also, I think kind of lets it play out as a laugh. Right. Which I think, I, I don't think it quite balanced that tone. Like, right. you know, it needed a little bit more of that where we could see the idiocracy going on with that guy. And I'm sure it didn't play that hard enough. It played it a lot more as a, I, even to the moment of kind of pausing to let people laugh, which, you know, is not what that scene should have been. So yeah, that, that didn't work for me. It was bothersome, but and just really odd, you know, kind of within the I don't, and I don't take it as it was trying to be just to make a funny a racial joke. I think it was trying to show this character as someone, a ridiculous horror, like, you know, not a good person, but the film didn't really, didn't really play that angle as strong as it could. And it, it could easily, I know a lot of people are upset about it. I, I get it too. Sure. After I watched it, I'm like, Oh yeah, that, that's not good. So, right. so that was a slip up there. I mean, I think yeah, the way I think the intention was to point out stereotypes that were yeah. happening during California and it did that, but then it kind of ended up like you're saying, playing it a little bit for a laugh, which is not a good well, thing. Well, to so. bring it back to do the same thing and you never really, the character never really gets called out on it. There's never right. any kind of repercussions. It's just, it's, it's kind of played for a joke and right. that's not good. So right. yeah, I will say that was a, a misgiving. I think that just, that was a misfire. Uh, I mean, granted, I, I don't know Paul Thomas Anderson. I've read <laughs> sure. a lot of interviews. I've heard a lot of interviews. I don't think he's the kind of guy that's like, no, this will be really funny. Let's put this in there. <laughs> I think it's, he was trying to say something. Unfortunately, right. the film didn't say it really well. So sure. Yeah, I agree. I will say too, um, unfortunately, uh, this is out. It came out limited first and then went wide, um, December 25th, but it still is in a smaller number of theaters. Yeah. Um, unfortunately you and I got to see it through a screener, a critic screener, and it was followed by a question and answer, um, session with Paul Thomas Anderson and where he was asked a bunch of questions. And it really helped me as a lot of times, um, when you listen to someone talk about a film, especially the director, it can help you appreciate it more. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is definitely the case with this film because he, kind of told like, yes, this, the Gary Valentine character in this film is kind of loosely based on someone that he knows and his experiences growing up in California and how he was a child actor. And then he decided to 
switch because he realized like, yeah, there's not really going to be a future for me. I will try doing waterbeds or I'll try doing all this. Mm -hmm. And so that helped color like, oh, okay, maybe there is more of a story arc and more of a through line than I thought. And it helped me. Yeah. It helped. And he also talked a lot about how he came on the casting of these two people. And he'd known Cooper Hoffman since he was born, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, which I thought was fascinating because he knew his dad, his dad had been in a lot of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movies. So I don't know. I, 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 if you are interested in seeing the film, I would say, you know, also try to seek out maybe some articles or something you may be able to find online about him talking about it. Cause it may help you appreciate it more, especially if you're a Paul Thomas Anderson fan. Yeah. Um, I might would suggest seeking that kind of stuff out. Overall, I guess I fall down on or come down on the line of it was an okay film. Hmm. Um, but for directors like Anderson, who I'm a big fan of, I kind of want more. But it was it was okay. Uh, I'm going to go a little better than okay. I okay. liked it. I thought it was good, but not top tier uh, Anderson. But but it's 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 a good film. I enjoyed it, so I, I had a good time with it. All right. Well, that is Licorice Pizza, as Chris mentioned, playing in some theaters right now, uh, but maybe not as wide as we'd like for it to be release-wise. But we hope you have a chance to check it out and kind of give us your own opinion and thoughts on the film if you have a chance to see it as well. Let's move on to a film that I know is a little wider release. At least it is playing here in our hometown. So that is that indicates as bad a wider release as we can get. Sure. And that is the latest film from also writer-director uh, Guillermo de Toro. Uh, it is, I guess it's his follow up to the shape of water, which was the last film he did Oscar winning, uh, the shape of water from several years ago. This is the film noir adaptation nightmare alley. I will ask you simple questions. You will answer in short sentences, only what you believe to be absolute truth. Absolute truth. Do that. Now, brief as you can, what is your name? Stanton Carlisle. Nightmare Alley tells the story of an ambitious carny played by Bradley Cooper with a talent for manipulating people with a few well-chosen words, and he hooks up with a female psychiatrist, played by Kate Blanchett, who is even more dangerous than he is, and they go about trying to scheme their way to making money. Uh, as Alan mentioned in the setup, this is uh, the next film by Guillermo del Toro, known for typically doing films with a supernatural element. He did the Hellboy films, he's done Shape of Water, he did, did Crimson Peak, so now with Nightmare Alley, this is more of a Noir-type film as opposed to anything with doing with the supernatural. So maybe a little bit of a change for Mr. Del Toro, but it is a period-type piece, which mm -hmm. is Shape of Water was as well. So, Alan, what was your experience with uh, Nightmare Alley? I really, really like this movie. Okay. Uh, for several reasons. Okay, it, it, it checks off a lot of boxes on the Alan Jackson checklist as far as films that I like. Wait, one of those is Talking Animals. Don't have any Talking okay. Animals. I, I did give it a small demerit for not having Talking Animals, but it got Fair. a lot of the other items on the checklist. Okay. Okay. Um, the time period, the 1940s, the whole Art Deco or uh, productions side. You've got old carnival uh, visuals, you've got, you know, uh, fortune tellers, you got seances, you got classic film noir type style film, um, all that blended together. I'm like, yes, totally on board. And the fact that it's 
I mean, I don't think this is spoiling. It's not a supernatural film, which is, I think, what's fascinating. It's got so many elements that want you to believe it's going to be supernatural, and it's not. Well, just the music and stuff. The music, the the style, I mean, the fact that it's in an old carnival, the fact that it kind of starts, I mean, the opening sequence is pretty interesting with the Bradley Cooper character and kind of where he's coming from, and even a dreamlike moment where you wonder how much is reality and how much is, how much is, is in his head and all these things that make you wonder, is this going to be a supernatural film? And it's not. Right. And that's what I think is even more impressive about it. Um, I, if anything else, I, the, the look and production of this film, uh, I love, I love the, I love the place it takes us. I love the environments it puts us in. I like the characters that we meet. It's going, you know, you meet so many interesting characters and, each one having a little bit of their own little backstory, not not a lot, but you know enough to kind of touch on each one. Uh, it just works for me. Now, uh, the film, in my mind, does lose a little bit about halfway through because we leave the carnival environment and it's right. gone for most of the duration of the film. The remaining in the tone shifts, it, it does change kind of the style of film a little bit for me. I still like the second half too. So it's not like I you know, didn't like it. It's just, I was really digging the first half. I was really digging the environment, the, the, the carnival experience and the environment there. And I think everybody was just really playing great in their roles there. But when we got into the second part of the film, it, it changed a little bit. I don't like it as much, but it still completely worked. I like the story that was being crafted and told in that second half as well. Um, yeah, I've got, got some other thoughts, but what's your thoughts on this? How'd you, how'd you take this one? It sounds like you and I fell similarly down the on the same lines with the film. I, I liked it a lot, maybe a little less than you, okay. um, but I liked it a lot. And I think, um, I guess I was, I wanted, because it with the carnival and all that kind of creepy atmosphere and stuff, I really, really liked it. And so kind of similar to what you're saying, once they left, it was still good, but I, I, wanted, I wanted some of the supernatural stuff to kind of creep back in because I know Guillermo del Toro, he does that stuff really well. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I understand what the, what he was going for, the noir nature of the film, you know, well, okay, you leave that out because that's more based in reality and about people stabbing each other in the back and stuff like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate it. I'm curious. Um, apparently his path to deciding to make this film was he, I guess, really liked the novel and the mm-hmm. movie because there had been a prior adaptation of the movie yeah. or of the book. And he was kind of like, yeah, I want to do something that is like a lot closer to the tone and to like sure. what the, he felt like the novel was going for. So he made this. Um, I'm curious at some point, I want to go back and check out the original mm-hmm. Nightmare Alley and see like what that had to offer. But um, the cast in this was amazing. We yeah. mentioned Bradley Cooper um, but there's also, and I mentioned Kate Blanchett, um, but there's also Tony Collette and Willem Dafoe and Richard Jenkins and Rooney Mar, Rooney Mar, David Strather and Ron Perlman. I mean, it's just, it is a lot of people and they are doing really good work. They are. I will say one thing I think with DeToro that I'm, I'm, I'm learning and seeing with his films, acting doesn't seem to be his paramount concern, at least in my view. Okay. excuse me it's um you know and again the acting is all really good okay but the acting in this film isn't what stands out to me it's not what i walk away with saying oh those were great performances by those characters and i just wonder it's not because the actors aren't good i mean they're all really good i just wonder how much of it is i think he's 
so good with the look and tone and mm, style and production. Kind of overpower their performances. Maybe? A little bit, a okay. little bit. Some of the the performances, some of the characters, a little more cookie cutter. I mean, there wasn't a lot of depth to some of them, like I would have liked. I don't blame the actors. I just think you know that seemed to be less of the importance in the film. Gotcha. But that being said, the cast is really good. I thought Bradley Cooper was really good in his in the leading role. Uh, Rooney Mara, I thought was was good. Again, I. I kind of feel like with some of these characters is like our actors. I wish they were given a little more to do. Her hmm. character was one. I wish had a little more to do during the course of the film. Her role gets built up a little bit at the end, but you know, you didn't get a whole lot leading up to it. Kate Blanchett's character. I mean, is only present for half the film or even a quarter of the film, which I kept. That was one of the surprises to me is I kept thinking, I, yeah, when is she going to show yeah. up? And then she finally does. So, and then again, all the people that you meet in the carnival pretty much gone in the second half of the film. True. So, you know, Tony Collette, I did like her character a lot as the, uh, Zena, the seer, the mm-hmm. uh, fortune teller. And then with her husband played by, um, David uh, Strayed and, uh, mm-hmm. Pete, those two were really interesting characters. And again, not around for the second half of the film. So it's just, the film does take a pivot. Sure. It almost not only changes the location, it changes a little bit of the tone of the film and it definitely changes the cast of characters for that last half. And again, I liked both halves. It's just going from what I thought was just a great first half. It was a bit of a letdown getting to the second half, but still worked for me. So overall, and I think you had to have both halves to get to the conclusion of this film that you arrive at. Sure. If you didn't have both halves, it wouldn't have really worked or made sense. So by the end, everything worked. Everything explained why you had these two sections and you had these two different stories you followed. It all kind of came together at the end, which was, I thought, a really great ending. Well, um, and I think it was interesting because we won't give the ending away. Mm-hmm. But um, I will say that I one of the reasons why I liked, I mentioned the acting. And you're right, the overall impressiveness does kind of fall away because there's so much else going on with story and production design and costumes and you know, music and all that, that you kind of forget. Not that anybody's doing a bad job, but you mm. just kind of forget yeah. you know, the, who they are. But Bradley Cooper playing a dislikable person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that was something that I'm not used to seeing because, you know, normally he's more of the, you know, pretty boy or whatever. But it just, it was interesting to see him play a person that you didn't really like or didn't yeah. really trust mm-hmm. or disappointed in. Um, I will say the one, one of the things, and I guess at the end of the film, I feel like some of the final moments were a bit kind of telegraphed earlier mm-hmm. in the film. But then the way that they do it made me think that it was almost like they were making it intentional that way. Yeah, um, I will so. say that, although I've watched this with other people okay. that did not see it telegraphed. Okay. And when it got to the last moment and a certain lines of dialogue are starting to be recited, they're like, oh, I see what's happening. And gotcha. I'm like, yeah, I kind of saw that. 20 minutes ago, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. I think you and I, again, we watch too many movies. We watch a lot of movies. <laughs> We're kind of looking for sure. those things that are going to kind of come back and, and tie things together. Uh, I think for most people watching this, that, that last moment is going to be a, Oh, I, I see that <laughs> oh. was, I see <laughs> right. where it was going. And, um, but I still loved it. I mean, even, even though I kind of saw where it was going, the way that last scene was played out, was not what I expected when I was predicting the ending. I thought it was going to take a different route in showing us this final moments mm-hmm. and scenes. The fact that it didn't, and it just ended on one face, you know, one reaction, one, one emotion I thought was really good. And that's so. what kind of saved it too. Cause uh, where the film ended up, I had guessed, but 
Bradley Cooper as Stanton yeah. Carlisle's reaction yeah, to the situation right. That's what made it. was not had was yeah. not what I expected. So yeah. Yeah. Overall, I, I think Nightmare Alley is great. I've already seen it twice. Okay. I saw well, that's it. a good sign. Yeah, I saw it twice. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Just, yeah. Uh, you, you give me something that looks as good as this and has the right kind of tone and style for this. I'm, I'm all on board. Even, even if the story were not to hold up, luckily the story did and the performances did. And uh, everything, everything generally worked for me. It's it's a tad long, um, you know, which I get. I think is nowadays a common criticism of so many films. I don't think studios are capable of making a film under two hours anymore. Right. I mean, I don't think that's possible. You know, as a throwback to our review of Licorice Pizza, which was over two hours long. Yeah. Um, but uh, as a commentary on that point, uh, in some of the press tours that Paul Thomas Anderson has been doing, he actually said, "I think movies." for the most part should always be under two hours. And I mm-hmm. fail at this constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of a not like he, he kind of, so there again, somebody well, agrees with us. He, so. he even said he liked the new Venom movie, which clocked in at an hour and 35. So one of the shortest blockbuster movies that have come out in a while. So I guess he, you know, that maybe was why he liked it. So it was yeah. short. I do wish films could tidy things up a little bit. I mean, I do think in this film, there's probably a good 10, 15 minutes that, could have easily been trimmed out and not impacted the film or the impact in any way, shape or form. So um, that's always a little, you know, you just at the end of the day, that's the biggest criticism I hear when I watch films with people. I'm okay with the length. I, I can, I can deal with it. I don't mind the, the pace of things, but I know I watch it with other people and that's always the number one takeaway is like, well, it's really long, so you know, it's long, just, right? yeah, it's taking its time getting to places, which again, I'm not faulting pacing of films, but when I do feel like there's certain moments and scenes and areas where, yeah, if you had taken this out, it would have had no impact on the film whatsoever. That does make you wonder if things are just getting long for the sake of getting long. Right. Yeah. Or just like you said, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson or any other director saying, yeah, I want to include all this in there. I want this whole thing to be there. Do but I really I, need this 10 minute scene? <laughs> no, but I like it. I want it to be in the film. And then we get a two and a half hour movie. So, right. yeah. That's a whole other whole other sure. soapbox topic for another day, I guess. Length of movies these days, but that being said, Nightmare Alley is playing right now in theaters. Um, not doing so great box office wise. So if you're hearing this review, do us a favor. I say me as a personal favor to me, a, a personal Christmas <laughs> present end of the year. Please go out and see Nightmare Alley because I want more films like this to make it to theaters. And unfortunately, between this one and West Side Story, just completely bombing out. Um, it does not bode well for more um, adult-focused in- independent films, or like I say independent and not not being part of a franchise. Right. Films. It's a uh, it's a it's a bad it's a it's a bad harbinger for what could be happening with those films in the future. So, okay, that is Nightmare Alley, and then we also reviewed Licorice Pizza earlier in the show. Chris, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we've got some movie news items about some box office reports for the latest. Marvel Spider-Man movie that we're going to show a trailer or at least play audio of a trailer from a new film that I think will uh, pique some interest here. And then our recommendations for the show. So we'll be back with foot candle films here in just a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation to learn more, visit the jacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv. 
Um, Chris, in our first half, we review the films Licorice Pizza and Nightmare Alley. Both films, or at least Nightmare Alley, uh, as I mentioned, not doing well financially. Not a lot of people going out to see it, which is a real shame. Licorice Pizza is still kind of in big cities release, so I think it's doing okay for the limited number of screens it's in. Uh, My prediction is it's not going to, you know, it's not going to make any break any box office records. It's not going <laughs> right. to make tons and tons of money. Sure. It's just not that kind of film. But instead, what happened over the past week or two is that basically every screen in a multiplex was just about all dedicated to one film. And that film was Spider-Man No Way Home, which led it to be the first pandemic era movie to smash $1 billion globally. Even more kind of impressive than that. It hadn't even opened in China yet. And China is like normally the biggest worldwide market for these big films, these big superhero films to come out. Gotcha. So it's beating these records without even opening in China. Um, any concerns people had about going to a movie theater during the pandemic seemed to kind of just get wiped away with this particular movie <laughs> because, yeah, these were huge, huge crowds coming out to see this opening And there was weekend. no way to see this film other than in the theater. That's right. And for two weekends in a row, it has been like setting records and big, big dollars. So uh, very interesting. I, I would not have expected it. I'm telling you that. I, I, I knew it was going to do pretty good business, but to think it's going to be record-breaking, I think the only films that have been bigger than it at this point are the Avengers Endgame movie, which was like the big, that was the world-breaking record at that point. It's still number two behind that one, but... The fact that this has now become like the second biggest film in recent history, um, I did not expect it, especially given uh, some of our takes on the movie itself, because you and I both saw it. <laughs> yes, uh, I did see it opening weekend. I think you did as well. I did. Um, and you know what? I kick myself because I couldn't make time to see both. So I had to choose between Spider-Man No Way Home and West Side Story. Yeah. And because I know how Romeo Romeo and Juliet ends. And I know since West Side Story is based off that, I've seen the original, um, kind of because I slept during English class. Um, I knew how that one was going to end. So I didn't want anything spoiled. So I gave my money to No Way Home. And walking out of the theater, my wife said, I'm kind of surprised that you chose to see it. I'm like, be quiet. Don't remind me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was like, because you did I, not. I regretted it. it. I, yeah. I, I didn't think it was uh, good. It was, as you can tell, if you've seen any of the trailers or you've heard any of the buzz, I won't spoil anything, Yeah. but I will say that in the past, when you and I have dinged various films, and I've dinged, we've dinged some Avenger films, or some MCU films, I think, for just doing fan service. We've dinged mm. Star Wars films. Sometimes we feel like they're doing too much fan service. Yeah. Like, this film, to me, was nothing but fan service and nostalgia, which... I'm fine with, but that doesn't mean it makes a good movie. Mm -hmm. So I was surprised on like, there just was story was almost non-existent Mm -hmm. and it was all about just, you know, fan service. And that was disappointing. Not to say there were bad performances or something like that. No, it was fun. Or some of the nostalgia and fan service was fun. Did I, some of it? Yeah. But overall just really disappointed. What was your quick take? Um, yeah, I'm of two minds of this film. Um, from a film critic standpoint, yeah, I, I did not like this. I thought it was really, I, I just felt like it was kind of poorly done, especially in the first half. I thought it was kind of cringy at times and writing was really bad. It just didn't make sense. There was a lot of re- plot contrivances that just didn't follow suit. However, I will say as a 
fan of the character and I enjoy popcorn movies and I enjoy audience reactions whenever an audience is really getting into a theater experience. The second half, I did at least have an enjoyable time, but I think by that point I kind of turned my brain off and said, let's just let it, let it just, let it just happen. Let it just happen. And I'm just going to enjoy the experience. And I at least had a fun time with the second half of the film. Um, but I will say even walking away from it, I'm still like, I thought the, I thought, I thought the writing and the plotting was just so poorly done. Yeah, and, uh, there's so many things about this film. I don't understand why characters made decisions they did or why, how things worked and how the rules <laughs> of anything were. It was very chaotic, but, um, I did enjoy Tom Holland in the role. I think he's really good in this part. I think this is probably his best of the three films he's done as far as his performance goes. I think he had the most to work with and do with his film. Um, so, yeah, I'm of mixed bag with it. I mean, yeah, if I wasn't a Spider-Man fan and if I wasn't a, a fan of this type of movie, I'd really skewer it. But the fact that I'm a fan, I at least came away at the end having enjoyed the second half of the film, but I was really worried about halfway through sure. thinking, Oh my gosh, I cannot this believe this is the film that they're, that they're doing right now. I, and so. I was the same. I was kind of like, I can't believe this is the movie. Yeah. Um, just cameo ridden riddled. <laughs> well, and the cameos I thought were really clumsy, definitely in the first half of the film. I just thought, you know, when some of these, you know, and the villains, we can say, yes, villains came back. That's not spoiler. Cause that's in all the trailers and commercials. Right. Those I thought were just terribly, terribly handled and just, yeah, you know, all fan service. Later in the film, other characters come across. Yes, it is fan service, but at least it was f- fun fan service. I I enjoyed it. The audience I was with enjoyed oh, it. Oh my goodness, the thing, the <laughs> memes you've seen online of like people like cheering, yes. like we just won the Olympic Games or something. Ah, uh, yes, same I don't understand happened. it, but it was fun. Um, <laughs> so anyway. I think it's a fun experience in the movie theater if you go with a big crowd and you just go in not expecting a big story, not expecting sure. a well-written uh, movie, just go in for the experience. It is kind of fun. But yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough. Um, it's a tough movie to, to review. So, so when we're talking box office and we're talking you know, what type of films we hope will continue to make it to theaters, we've implored people, hey, if you are interested in Nightmare Alley, please go see it because we want you know non- franchise movies to make it to theaters. I'll also say in defense of franchise movies, we have nothing against them. No, we just like a wide variety. Yep. And I'll actually justify that by saying, um, <laughs> it was Christmas night. <laughs> My son wanted to see uh, matrix resurrections. Mm. I said, fine, we will see it. We will watch it today. We started it. We didn't finish it until two 30 in the morning. Wow. Which was December 26th. Technically when we yeah. finished it now, not ideal, which means obviously we did watch it at home. So I didn't yeah. even go support it in the theater, which I do want to see it in the theater. I do want to give it another shot. I liked it. Um, but I was so tired because <laughs> mm. we'd been up all day that I did like, I did miss a little bit of the film cause I, I fell asleep. But what I will say is I was shocked at how, what it was doing with a fourth film in a franchise mm. And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, just leave it at um, that because I'm trying think, to avoid spoilers on this. Right, and I'm not going to spoil anything. I will say I think some fans of the franchise, there again, they weren't just interested in fan service. They were trying to do something. Mm. And I can see how some people will not like this film because of that. No, um, you must you must cater <laughs> to us, the fans, right. and make things that we want to see. Right. right. Yeah. Um, so I, I liked it. 
I need to see it again to get a clear sense of everything because I did miss some parts. But um, so that that's the defensive. No, give me a blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Give me a franchise. Give me a fourth film and a franchise. But make it matter. And I feel like this one, I feel like this one did. Okay. Well, so. good. All right. Well, it, right away, you just got some extra reviews right in the pocket there. So yeah, you, you heard some reviews <laughs> of Spider-Man No Way Home and you got Chris's review of a really, really quick, vague, uh, vague. Uh, review of the Matrix Resurrections. And to tie it back to the original news item that you were bringing up about Spider-Man making a billion, Matrix Resurrections has not done well. No. Now. Probably because of dopes like me, not dopes like me, but mm. convenience wise, I watched it online or watched yeah. it at HBO Max. And because of that, but I wonder if that's another thing that may help movie going experiences. I think they're going to lose that deal with Warner Brothers starting in 2022. Yeah. So maybe. Well, but I mean, I also have to think that the money they make, they, they're obviously getting money through HBO Max for sure. some sort of deal it's to like show just it. giving it for free. Right. right. So it's like, there's got to be a calculation of how much money HBO Max is quote paying them for the film right. or they're getting from it. In addition to what they get from theatrical viewings as well. Right. So unfortunately that's a little bit of a side effect is that we don't know the HBO numbers. We know the box office numbers. The box office numbers are not great. Right. So the sentiment may be, oh, this movie is not doing well financially. When it could be everybody and their brothers watching it on (laughs) HBO Max, and we just don't know. Right. So that makes it really challenging. It does. Because unfortunately now the negative perception of a film like Matrix is, oh, it's not doing well. It must not be good. I'm not going to go see it. When that's a self-fulfilling prophecy, all we're doing is, you know... Because because we have the online viewing and it, it, it's tough. It's a really actually, tough way to do it. Of all the movies, because I've watched several online. Mm-hmm. I watched um, King Richard this way. I watched the Godzilla movie that came mm-hmm. out earlier in the year this way. Um, Suicide Squad. I watched that way. Okay, we watched the film. Like I said, I was telling you, Christmas Eve and stuff. And this is the first time I've watched the film that this has happened twice. We were about halfway through. We had it like had problems playing back. Oh, well, and I wonder no if good. it's because stuff was getting slammed mm-hmm. because Probably it was so. like, you know, what if you're like, well, it was a glitch. Oh, watch the exactly. <laughs> but I was like, I wonder how if this is because they're just getting hit really hard because be. people are like, I just want to watch this at home now. Boop. Yeah. <laughs> On Christmas. It so, could be. Well, knows? it's not the ideal viewing experience, no. but it has been convenient. Yeah. Um, I'm still very anxious to see what's going to happen with online streaming of new films. Sure here in the next year or so um, after, after 2021 is finished out. Right. Okay. So Spider-Man, no way home billion dollars. Congrats to it. Yeah. Um, but sorry for all the other films that pushed out of the theaters, basically <laughs> to show oh, that. Alan, I, I do want to bring up mm-hmm. the, the one thing you'd mentioned to me, cause I think yeah. it is kind of an interesting short little thing. You had mentioned how you had seen online that people who had purchased a ticket for nightmare, nightmare alley were then contacted by the theater and said, Hey, you know, is it okay if we can't refund your money because we need to open this screen for Spider-Man No Way Home, which is, that's kind of a scary oh, yeah. trend. It's not, that's no good at all. That's <laughs> right. no, that's not a good, good, uh, uh, portent for the future right. on this for sure. So, okay, let's move on. Let's talk sure. about a movie that will not be making a billion dollars, <laughs> but I think we're very anxious and interested to see. Sure. Uh, Robert Eggers who uh, you may know from The Witch, mm-hmm. he did. And then the last film he did was The Lighthouse. Now, I really liked The, the Witch. I did it was too. great. The Lighthouse, I struggled with. Sure. But I can at least admire what the film was trying to do, and at least admire the artistry behind it. But boy, that movie, I, I'm still processing <laughs> to some degree. Sure. Um, 
But if nothing else, it's definitely still got me interested in what Robert Eggers will do next. It has mm-hmm. not turned me off to his work. It's just made me more intrigued to see, okay, what is he going to do next? Is he going to continue down this path mm-hmm. of making these types of films? Or is he going to try to vary it up and do something very different? Who knows? Um, but we do have a new film that has been announced, and we have a trailer out for it called The Northman. And this is going to be uh, starring Alexander Skarsgård. You also have Nicole Kidman in it. You have Claire Bang. You have Anna Taylor-Joy and Ethan Hawke. Also, Bjork is in the film. Wow. And Willem Dafoe. Okay. Well, so, yeah. yeah. So, you got a great cast, interesting cast. Uh, Bjork, I don't think I've seen Bjork in a movie in quite a while. So Since that'll Dancer be Dancer in the Dark's last yeah, time. Yeah, very saw interesting. Her. Yeah. So, how about, let me show you the trailer for this. Yes. And then we can talk and see your some thoughts on it. Absolutely. Okay. All right, cool. Here we go. He's here. He's here. Mother! Father is here! The king, my lady. The king. Your fate is set and you cannot escape it. How I've missed you, my son. One day this kingdom will be yours. Thank you, Father, my king. (laughs) All right. So we just played a portion. And I know, again, it's an audio podcast. So sorry, you don't have the visuals to go along with it. But that was part of the audio uh, trailer of The Northman. So, Chris, initial reactions. So we've gone on record saying period pieces aren't usually our bag. Um, Robert Eggers being involved with this does make me curious. You and I are similar. We, I liked the witch, uh, lighthouse thought it was atmospheric, but there wasn't a lot there otherwise for me. Um, this one in general, if he wasn't involved, I probably wouldn't be interested, mm-hmm. but, but he is involved. Um, the cast does look strong and at least I know going in, there is a through line of, you know, it's revenge. It's the mm-hmm. sky seeking revenge. So it's like, okay, I've seen this kind of story before, but I imagine the visuals are going to be incredible. Um, it seems like maybe I think it's coming out in April. Mm-hmm. If you know, if release dates hold, um, it seems like it's going to be 2022's the green Knight. Yeah. Um, except that one wasn't a revenge, but you know, that kind of whole yeah, story, epic similar. story type thing. Um, so I, I'm intrigued. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be knocked over by it, but I think it'll be at least be worth seeing and definitely big screen because the visuals yeah. and the scope that it's going for. And I got to say, based on the trailer, um, York couldn't have been more better <laughs> cast. I mean, she looks like she's playing like a witch type yes, character. Exactly. So, yes. Well, just in case you couldn't really pick it up from the trailer itself, you know, this is being termed as a action filled epic follows a young Viking prince on his quest to avenge his father's murder. Um, I'm intrigued only because, A, I do respect what Robert Eggers does visually and with tone and style in his films. Mm -hmm. But I also love a good revenge movie. I love a good action epic movie. If he can blend all of that and give us a really good epic film, but yet enough enough inventive, creative moments and, and touches and just make it just odd enough to, to make it interesting. Yeah then I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. Um, the, the, the trailer kind of mixes. I mean, there's like a lot of odd imagery that makes you think, okay, this is going to have some 
head-scratching, interesting moments to it. But it's also got some action moments, which I've not seen Eggers do. So it's like, oh, okay, well, let's see how he does with moments of actual uh, swashbuckling epic, you know, um, side of action. So we'll see. I'm curious, very, very curious, but I am anxious to see it. Um, We will see how that turns out. That is The Northman. Again, Robert Eggers, writer, director, and it will be out April 22nd, 2022, currently slated for that date. Cool. Okay, Chris. So that is our news items for this episode. It is time of the show where we now move on to our recommendations. So this is where Chris and I both give a recommendation of a film we think is worth checking out. Uh, it's something it could be a new film that's available for viewing in theaters or online, or it could be an older film that we just caught back up with and want to share with you. So Chris, what have you got for us on a recommendation today? So, I'm going to recommend a 2020 film that I just recently caught up with in 2021, but you know, release dates were all whack anyway. So, but it is called Psycho Goreman. So that is Psycho, like you would imagine. And then Goreman, G-O-R-E-M-A-N. Um, this film is pretty much rated R, um, but the story is after unearthing a gem that controls an evil monster looking to destroy the universe, a young girl and her brother use it to make him do their bidding. So it's kind of a bizarre premise. The effects are not um, what I would say are good. But um, the thing is, if you liked films like, um, let's see, Turbo Kid, which I have recommended on the um, podcast before, or more recently, I recommended, what was the other one I recommended? Oh, yeah, um, Velocipastor. Then you're going to be... So that's that's what you're getting into. You're getting into a film like that. It's like if Trey Parker and Matt Stone made an R-rated film paying homage to the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers with a ramen noodle budget, then I imagine it'd be something like this. That's that's totally what wow. this thing is going for. Um, it's funny. There's some humor just with the girl being a big brat and like you know her and her brother arguing and the parents being kind of lackadaisical sometimes. There's, but then the film knows exactly what it is. Mm. It's just trying to be entertaining, R rated entertainment for parents. But I mean, cause there's like blood and gore and language, but it's, it's just funny. It's nothing that you're going to be up for any type of Oscars or awards, but it's kind of a nice break and just mindless entertainment. Um, and even better, it is available. You can rent it places, but it's also at least in this area and maybe in yours as well, available online through hoopla, which is a service that your libraries, local public libraries provide or can provide. So um, you can watch it for free. So there again, it's free. So, so there's that. Um, but it's Psycho Goreman. So. PG. Psycho Goreman. Yeah, which is, you know, the name yeah, of the film. The, the name but of the not film, the rating. PG, not the rating. Yeah, so it's like they, you know, yeah, which yeah, is a big huge doing. wink. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's it just mindless kind of fun. So All right. Psycho Goreman. Psycho Goreman. Um, okay. Good. That that works. That's different. Um, mine, I... I I struggle, Chris, because right now I'm just watching films for that we are reviewing, and I'm watching films that, um, you know, I, I feel like are going to have some award discussions. That means we'll be discussing them in future episodes as well. Sure. Um, so going back and finding a recommendation of one, I might have a tough time anyway, because I feel like I've recommended all the films I've liked <laughs> so far anyway. Um, but watching Licorice Pizza a couple weeks ago and crafting for the review, it did get me wanting to watch, and I did end up watching uh, the master again, oh, okay. that is Paul Thomas Anderson's film. I already mentioned early on in a list saying of my, of my favorite It's in the top four for him. I think that's number three. That's where okay. I've got it rated. 
behind Boogie Nights and Phantom Thread, uh, the master. This is the uh, story of a naval veteran who arrives home from war, very unsettled and uncertain of his future until he is tantalized by a group called The Calls and its charismatic leader. Again, echoing back to our review, the charismatic leader played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, what I feel like is his best performance of all the stuff Pretty I've good seen. Pretty good one, yeah. And, and then you also have uh, you know, the lead actor, the naval veteran, being played by Joaquin Phoenix. Also, me thinking it might be his best performance I've seen him do as well. So you got two powerhouse actors really going at it at each other. A couple of really, really great moments in this film. Uh, just the two of them. Mm-hmm. Interrogation kind of scenes, uh, some just dialogue between them. So, so well, well done. But beyond the two of them, you've also got Amy Adams. You've got Jesse Plemons, uh, all playing some really, really great roles along the way, too. So I think it's great. I think it's a film that even though it got a lot of award recognition and nominations and all, uh, I do feel like it was maybe lost a little bit after the There Will Be Blood. Paul Thomas Anderson, that one just getting so much accolade. Sure. Being seen as almost by a lot of film circles as his masterpiece. The master, I feel like, was kind of a was a follow-up and it worked for most people, maybe didn't work for everybody quite as much. So it kind of got pushed off to the side a little bit after some initial buzz, at least that's the way I perceived it. But I feel like it's one of his strongest films and uh, seeing Cooper Hoffman and licorice pizza made me want to go back and revisit this film as well. Fair Um, enough. You know, we, we say that, you know, it's interesting where I don't always think of Paul Thomas Anderson as a period piece filmmaker, but he is, I mean, a lot of his films are taking place in different time periods than present day. Sure. We may only be going back 30, 40, 50 years, but it's still really evoking some different uh, time periods in his films. Uh, this film is specifically, it's kind of interesting background behind it. You know, it started at a time where obviously he had done, there will be blood. He used some unused scenes from early drafts of there will be blood to start building the foundation of this one, which Hmm. It's interesting because I wouldn't think the two films are very connected, but there are some scenes that possibly got carried over from early drafts there. Hmm. And also I know going when this film was being released, there was a lot of buzz about how much of it is based off of L. Ron Hubbard and, uh, you know, uh, Scientology Scientology. and everything else with that. And yes, there are some of that in there. I think obviously that's an inspiration or at least that story is driving some of it. But I love the fact that the film's a lot more about Freddie and him navigating this situation as opposed to it just being about the a biography of L. Ron Hubbard or a wannabe L. Ron Hubbard uh, stand-in. Right. So it has a lot more to, going on than I think the early early predictions of the film had had led us to believe. But overall, it's it's one of my favorites. I think it's really, really good. Still very strong. Holds up really well. Um, so yeah, if you're you know getting nostalgic for Philip Seymour Hoffman's performances after seeing Licorice Pizza – and seeing his son in action, this would be the one I would point people to to go check out. So that is The Master. I mean, it's available anywhere you can you know, rent or uh, I don't know if it's on streaming services. I think it may be on Netflix, but definitely rental, rental or purchase opportunities for you as well. All right. So that's our reviews and that's our show. Psycho Gorman was the recommendation from Chris. Mine was The Master. Um, and then we had our reviews of Liquor's Pizza and Nightmare Alley. Some new stories about the Spider-Man movie and about the Northman coming out in April of 2022. So, Chris, anybody has any thoughts, feedback for us? How can they get a hold of us? You can send us an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. 
Alan and I are also on Letterboxd. If you'd like to follow us on there, I'm at Chris Fry and he's at Alan Jackson on Letterboxd. You can track what we're seeing. Sometimes we give uh, little little reviews. Uh, also, if you are listening to the show, which obviously if you're hearing my voice, you are, please consider giving us a star rating or writing a review or share with friends and things like iTunes because it will help us reach new listeners. We're also on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. And as from the title of our show, Foot Candle Films, we do have the Foot Candle Film Festival, which is now open for submissions for our 2022 festival, which will be September 21st through 25th. So if you're a filmmaker, consider submitting for it. If you just want to go to a cool film festival, then put those dates on your calendar, September 21st through the 25th. All right. Well, that will wrap it up for today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will look forward to talking to everybody next time we record. So thanks, everybody. Take care. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.